We need to do a little bit of family business this morning, but don't get frightened, it's okay. It's exciting family business, but it's family business nonetheless. And I know the last two weeks there's been, I've been somewhat speaking in some riddles, but I haven't felt God give me the go-ahead to bring what I want to bring this morning. So I want to ask for some grace before I start. Um, because there's, there's power in what God wants to bring and, and I want to get out of the way, but I, I also need some time to lay a foundation of, of what it is He's put in my heart. But over the last two weeks, there's been some, I've been preaching with this a desire in my heart for the church to be motivated, for the church to be encouraged and, and to come out of the Valley of Shittim and if you don't get that reference, you can go listen to my sermon two weeks ago. It'll make more sense. But to come out of the Valley of Shittim and to walk into the land of the giants to take the promised land. It was the call that God gave to Joshua after Moses passed away. And even before that, God has been stirring in Jess and I to redefine our vision, redefine where as a community we are going. And that's been a little unusual to me because... It seems like that normally comes at the beginning of the year, not at the end of the year. But Jess and I have been, sounds funny because we live in the same house, but having meetings as a eldership, because if I don't do that, we just, we sit on the couch and dinner takes over or we're at the dinner table. And so we've been coming and praying together and discussing what is important to us. And that will continue to happen until probably the rest of our lives, I guess. But God has been stirring in us and been exciting something in us. And he reminded me of the verse in Hebrews 11, 1, the very first thing the author says in Hebrews 11. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And last week or the week before, I, I asked all of us, so I was praying over going back over the, the prophecies and the words that we've been given because some of those things haven't come to light. And as I started to do that, and as we started to do that, there's so many things that has been prophesied over us, Jess and I, over us individually, and over this house, that I realized haven't come to pass. So I started to ask God, Lord, give me the conviction of the things not seen. Give me an unwavering heart to say that that is coming, that we will take that ground that we were promised long ago, that we will stand in that position, and as we've been praying and, and, and asking God what that looks like and through the last two weeks as I've been carrying this, this burden, God has just been reminding me more and more about what faith looks like. So if you've got a Bible, jump to Matthew 14 for me. We'll put it up on the screen, but if you're a read-alonger in your own version kind of person or... Oh, announcements. I didn't do any announcements. While you're looking for your scripture, if you want to come on Thursday night, it has not, it's not too late. We are starting in um, uh, Colossians chapter 1 this Thursday. Um, starts at 6.30 and we're finished by 8.30. Come be a part of that. It is incredibly encouraging. I'm not teaching. It's not sit and listen. We're all um, a part of what's being taught. We're all part of what we're seeing. So if you want to come and do that, come and be a part of that. There's always snacks. Kayla puts a spread on and we just talk through scripture. It's so incredibly helpful to see other people's perspectives and understandings. So if you want to do that, 
come be a part of that. Matthew 14, chapter 22 to 33. Sorry, verse 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come onto the water. I come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, ye of little faith, why do you doubt? And when I went King James there for a second. And then got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This verse is so interesting to me because the first thing that I noticed is that they are in the midst of a storm. They've just been with the crowds with Jesus. Jesus has just performed an amazing miracle by feeding thousands off one little lot of food. He's just fed them all. He's shown a provisional miracle. And now the disciples are caught out in the midst of a storm. They've just come from an amazing place. And now they're in the midst of the storm. But the thing that gets me so much by this is that Jesus sent them. I think if I was on that boat, one of the disciples, I would be, why did he send us here? He told us to go. He told us to go in the boat. And not only did he tell us to get in the boat, he went to the mountain. He must have known, I'm not going to get in there. There's a storm coming. That's going to be hard. But he sent them right in the midst of the, the, the terror and the fear of the storm. They were called out to that place by Jesus. He called them. And it says there in, in 24, it says that after he went up to the mountain by themselves and he was there alone, the boat by this time had gone a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. There must have been a moment in the disciples' lives where they said, can we go back? Can we turn the boat around? Can we go back to the sea, back to the land where Jesus was? But yet it's clearly written there, they had gone too far. They were in the middle of the two lands. They could not turn around. And it makes me wonder how many times scripturally we see that, that God leads the people to a place that is difficult. He leads the people to a place that doesn't make much sense, yet He is always with them in their midst. It reminds me of the, the, the Israelites when they left Egypt and in Numbers 14, 1 to 4, you don't have to go there, I'll just read it. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord God bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones are become to pray. Would it not be better off for us to go back to Egypt? 
and they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Even the people of God, after seeing amazing miracles through Moses and through Aaron, got to the wilderness and said, these guys have lost the plot, we're going back. It's the same picture for the disciples when they're in the midst of the storm. Even though they had seen the power and glory of Jesus, it wasn't enough for them to feel the comfort in the midst of the storm because as humans, when we get into the midst of the storm, we start to look around and wonder why in the world we're there. It just baffles me that they came through all of those amazing miracles, the sea, the water, the plagues, that many people being led out, the fact that their shoes didn't wear out, food was provided, and yet, and yet, they said, woe are we. We don't have the comforts we used to have. Let's turn and go back. Sometimes in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your adversary, I realized midway through I hadn't got it and I just went for it anyway. I just thought, get it out there. I know all the syllables are there. So, In the midst of your pain, if you can't say the word, just change it, right? In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your storm, our first response is, Lord, just take me back. Just take me back. Take me back to where I was because that was better than the pain I'm in. But what we don't understand is that God knows what the trial looks like. He knew the storm was there. He knew the storm was there. And he still sent them. He knew the land in Egypt would be desolate, would be painful, would be a challenge, yet he still sent them. Why? Because the land that they were coming into was worth walking through the storm or the desert. The land that he was bringing them into was much better than the one they had. But there is a, there is a, a time to walk and to, and to press through the thing because God has called us into a promise that's bigger than the one we have now. God has seen the place we're in and he's seen where we're going. So to walk through the storm, to make it through the challenge is nothing to him because he knows that it's there. And he says, I will not leave you nor will I forsake you. Continuing on in Matthew 14, it says on the fourth watch, uh, verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, walking on the sea, he came to them. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Even in the midst of the storm, the thing God had sent them terrified them. I love the fact that going back to Moses in Egypt, I love the fact that when, when Moses gets given the call on what he's supposed to do, he says, but Lord, how am I to do it? And God says to Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? And he has a staff. He says, throw this staff to the ground. And he throws the staff to the ground and it becomes a snake and he becomes terrified of the snake. The power of God is well past our understanding, well surpasses what we would do in a situation like that. We can rationally think how we would get from A to B through one to C, but God does it in a way that says, watch what I will do in your midst. It will not look the way you think it will. Because for me, when I'm on the boat, I just think God quietens the storm, the, the, the lightning goes away, and then we go down and Jesus is just sitting in the boat. still amazing. 
That's the way I, I would have seen it to be done. But Jesus says, I will blow you away with how I will interact in this situation. To the point that they were frightened by his presence. There was power and glory in the presence. Remember that they had just come from a miracle. They had just seen a massive provisional miracle. But when it was for everybody else, they could see it and perceive it. But when it became for themselves, they couldn't see past their own pain, their own suffering. See, times when we're in a storm, times when we're in the midst of pain or suffering, we tend to go back to fleshly understandings, back to the ways of the world, because we forget the very thing that we've told others to do. Look to Jesus. It's easy for somebody to, to meet with you and say, man, just keep looking to Jesus, brother. But when the pain or the trial comes on us, we go, well, where do I, what do I do? I didn't think it would feel like this. But our advice that we give is the same we give ourselves. Look to Jesus. Look for the miracle and wait for the way that it will come. It was the third watch of the night, 3 a.m. They would have been tired, wrecked, overworked, and they were looking out into darkness. There was no promise on the horizon. There was storm and suffering out there. Yet from the midst of nothing came Christ. Oftentimes in our, in our trial, we're looking and going, God, there's no answer. It's only dark beyond my little moment. It's only, there is no promise. There is no light on the horizon. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. It's only darkness. But it was from that place that Jesus came out of the midst and revealed himself. Their eyes were set outward to see what he was going to do. And from the, mid, from the midst of darkness, Jesus' voice speaks. From the midst of misunderstanding, from the midst of pain and suffering, from the midst of no promise to anything else, the voice of God speaks. He says to them, take heart, it is I. From that place, in the midst of the storm, peering into darkness, he says, take heart, it is I. At times when we feel like our back's against the wall, at times when we feel like there's no way out, we hear this still small voice that says, take heart, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And I love the comfort that Jesus brings because it doesn't answer the question. It doesn't answer why have you sent us here. It doesn't answer why did you leave us. It doesn't answer why is there a storm. It doesn't answer if the storm is going to calm down. All it does is say, I'm with you. And that's comfort enough. He doesn't have to, I mean, for me, I've got thousands of questions. It is I, Lord, I have some questions. I'm glad you're here. What are we doing? But for the disciples in that moment, all they need is take heart. Do not be afraid. Jesus speaks as light from the darkness and he comforts them. Carrying on from verse 28, Peter, he answers them. He answers Jesus. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked in the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. I love Peter's faith in this moment because don't forget the storm hasn't been calmed. It's still raging. He's in the only safety he has is the boat. The only comfort he has is the riggedy old fisherman's boat. It wouldn't be like a cruise liner 
with a comfy bed and a nice big pool. It would have been a rickety old fishing boat. Yet that's the only comfort he had in the storm. So Peter, in his faith, decides, I will leave the little comfort I have because what you have is greater. I will leave the little comfort that I have because what you have, Jesus, is greater, but you've got to command me to come. You've got to tell me to step out. I'm not doing it on my own. You've got to call me out. But the faith of Peter to say, Lord, I'm comfortable here. I know these four little walls of this rickety boat is unusual, but it's safe. But if it's your will, I'll come to you. I'll step out of my comfort and I'll come to you. So Jesus says, come. Come, Peter. Step out onto the water. His faith brings him into Christ. His faith brings him closer. We need to remember this, guys. In for all of us, in every situation that we find ourselves in, that when we find the comfort of our own little thing, our job, the house we're in, the place we're in, the things we have, when we stay in the comfort, God is saying, would you step out with me? Would you step out into the unknown, into the darkness of the storm, but you hear my voice? And sometimes God, he says, come. We're like, Lord, I don't want to go. I'm comfortable here. This makes sense to me. I don't want to step out. But then on the other hand, we cry in worship to say, Lord, we want to see more. We want more of you. We want more. We want more. We want more. And Jesus says, I've got it for you, but you've got to come out of the boat. I've got it for you, but you've got to step out onto the water. You've got to come into the unknown. You've got to come past your little knowledge of I'm safe and I'm housed in this place. And you've got to come out into where I am. And Peter does. He steps out. But notice the one thing, that the moment his eyes shift off Jesus, he begins to sink. Notice the moment that his eyes are removed from Christ. When he starts to look around, he remembers the storm he's in. He starts to remember the lightning and the rain and the clouds. He starts to remember the swelling of the water. He takes his eyes off of him and instantly he begins to sink. He saw the wind. He was afraid and he began to sink. In our fear of what's happening around us, we take our eyes off Jesus. In our fear of the, the worldly understanding, we take our eyes off Jesus and it's in that moment the thing begins to fall apart. The plan that he put together falls apart. The thing that you heard him say multiple times falls apart because your eyes shifted from the thing that was always meant to be was his voice and his call in the darkness, not the darkness that surrounds. And it's interesting Jesus' rebuke right there in the midst of it. He says to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Not well done, Peter. You got out the boat. The others didn't. Well done. He says, Peter, you were so close, but you took your eyes off me. You took your eyes off me. See, this thing that we are doing as Christians, this, this journey we're on is not a sprint. You don't get the well done from the very beginning. You get the well done when you've run the marathon. Foot after foot after foot, journey after journey after journey, storm after storm after storm is the end where we've ran the race. You came all the way to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Sometimes I think we want the pat on the back in the early days. We want the pat on the back where we did it, Lord. No, you're still doing it. Keep your eyes on me. Don't sink. 
And so often, especially in this last two years, we have seen leaders, ministries, churches, Christians put their eyes on him to begin with, but in the midst of the storm, they shifted their view. It's the very picture I've preached so many times between Lot and Abraham. Lot went left down to the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham kept his eyes on the mountaintop. He kept his gaze on God and he said, I'm coming to you. Forget the rest, I'm coming to you. It's the times where we learn to keep our gaze on Jesus that he brings us into more. It starts with faith to step out of the boat, but it holds and remains in the way in which we keep our focus on him. Speak of Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 1. God does something interesting with Abraham. And I was reminded of this by a friend during the week that I was talking through and he said, man, you, you got to remember what happened to Abraham. And I'd forgotten this. And as soon as he shared it with me, I, I was like, man, that's so challenging, but so exciting all at the same time. In Genesis 12, chapter one to two, God says to Abraham, Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Peter, come out of the boat. Abraham, come out from your father's land. Come out from the comfort that you've had for so long and step with me. Because in your faith to step out of your comfort zone, in your faith to come away from the thing you think you know, I will bring you into increase. I will bring you into more. I will bless the land that I've laid before you. I will give you the promise that I've given to Moses. I will give you the promise that I gave to Adam and to Eve and to all of my people. But come out. The author of Hebrews explains this, this conundrum given to Abraham in Hebrews 11 verse 8 to 10, where he says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham knew that there was a land for him, but he had to leave his father's comfort before he could take the land that God had designed for him. It was by faith Abraham stepped out. It was by faith that Peter stepped out of the boat. So why do I say all this? Why has God been encouraging us to, to revisit our dream, revisit our vision, revisit where it is we're going? That's because He is calling us to a place of faith. The owners of this building have decided to sell, which means that we have to go and look for a new building, to look for a new place to worship, to look for a new um, building, if you will, to worship. And to begin with, for me and for Jess, this was a challenging idea. This was a challenging um, position to be in because 
we are comfortable. We have spent a lot of time to get this building to a place that we feel like we can be excited that, okay, Lord, we're starting to rebuild. We're starting to position ourselves. And when I saw that verse of Peter stepping out of the boat, it wasn't until a time in prayer where I felt God give me some peace that I realized, Lord, you have called us to an inheritance. You have called us to an increase, but we have to step out in order to come into the increase. That I realized when my, when my friend shared during the week about Abraham, that I realized in that place that we've become comfortable in our father's house. The challenge is that for me and to lay down my pride is that I would have liked for it to be my decision. But God says, that's not how we do this. And in my prayer, my time throwing my toys out of the cot, I've said to God, Lord, I'm not ready for this. We're tired, we're beat. And he says, no, you're ready to come into what I have for you. So in that time when God called us back to look at the promises that have been made, I realized, Lord, you have called us to something great. But in our own comfort, we are squashing what you've given us. So like Abraham, I'll go. Not kicking and screaming. I've had my kicking and screaming. Lord, I'll come where you've asked us to stand. But you know, there's something interesting in this verse that I also had to wrestle with because I realized God will do it like Abraham will step out in faith. But in that verse in Genesis 12, it says, Sorry, the verse in Hebrews, it says, By faith he went to live in the land of the promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. There was a moment in transition that Abraham went to live in tents before he came into the land. There was a moment in transition where Joshua went from the valley of Shittim through the giants into the land of promise. There was a moment of, I don't know where we are right now or where we're going. And as I thought about this verse with, with Peter in the boat, I realized, Lord, I'm standing on the edge of the boat looking into darkness. I don't know where we're going. How can I lead a people to where you haven't given me clarity to go? And I heard him say, Ben, step out of the boat. Step out of the boat and I will guide your feet. So that changed my heart from a position of sorrow and confusion to a position of joy and excitement. Because what it does for me is it reignites some of the promises that I thought had been put on the shelf. It reignites the picture that God is saying, I'm calling you into increase, I'm calling you into more, but you've got to step out in faith to watch what I can do in your space. You have to step in to what I have for you to bring the more that I've promised from the beginning. So I said, okay, Lord, Let's go. I'm on board. I'm excited. I'm Big Kev. For some of you Aussies, eh? Big Kev. John knows what I'm talking about. I'm Big Kev and I'm excited. The auction is set to go ahead on the 23rd of January, which with a 30-day settlement gives us to the 1st of March. And in processing this with Paul Todd-Hill and Devlin, and Barsi and a few others around the world. It challenged me because every time I opened my mouth to tell them what was going on, they were excited. And I didn't want them to be excited. I wanted them to wallow with me for a moment. Can you just wallow for one moment? But they said, no, this is exciting. 
And it was amazing. I was talking through so many different options. And I got to the place where I realized, God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And someone reminded me, I said, Ben, through your preaching, all through the last two years, you have been preaching that the church of Christ, the ecclesia, the gathered ones, are a people, not a building. And I said, yeah, I know. And he said, well, God's pushing you into challenge here. So my heart now is to say to all of you, this next step for all of us is going to be different. Some of it's going to be different by choice and some of it's going to be different by we don't have any other option. That may mean the day may change that we gather. It may mean the time may change. It may mean the location may change. It may mean that the way we meet changes. To say I, I don't know what it looks like is that I don't know what it looks like because I'm asking God, God, what do you want in this season? And I felt in my heart that if the apple card is already upset, if we're already uncomfortable in a move, then Lord, strip from us anything else that needs to go. If this is a moment to, to uh, kill the sacred cows, then let us kill them. Show me what they are. God, if that's that we meet and we face a band, if that's that we, we meet in a hall, if that's that we put money into these things, let us understand and let me bring clear vision to the people. But Lord, let me see your heart for the, for the next generation of the Ecclesia of you. And I want to ask, this is a time where we step into something, but Jess and I don't want to do it on our own. We don't want to do it carrying everything. We want to do it with you. We want you to join us. We want you to come on the journey to pray with us, to end with us. If you're feeling something, share it with us. If there's something that's been irking you about the church for years, come and talk with me. I won't be offended. I will be encouraged. I'll be excited. We're putting things up on whiteboards. We're crossing things off. Do we need that? Do we need chairs? Do we need lights? Do we need instruments? We're going to take everything that we do in this building to God and let him breathe on it. And if he says no, we'll cross it off but we want you to be on this journey with us. But I also feel the freedom to release you if this is not the time or the era or the season for you to be a part of. But I want to I caution you, don't run because it's hard. Don't run because the mountain looks, looks big because you're in it with us. We're all lacing our boots up, grabbing our little poly spiky things, whatever fancy mountain climbers call those things. A stick. <laughs> Classic. But I want to ask you, would you come with us in this next season, this next era, whatever it looks like? If it's pack up, pack down, would you do it with us? If it's hours of prayer and fasting, would you do it with us? If it's whatever, add the blank, would you earnestly seek God with us? in this time and then when we do come into what's next would you build with us would you not just be a bum on a seat but be hands on plowshares if you believe in the call that God has given community in this city and in this nation and you believe that you are a part of that would you pick up a plowshare with us you know when Nehemiah is building the city 
he tells the people to carry two things. Do you know what the two things are? A sword in one hand and what in the other? A plowshare, a tool to build. To fight on one hand and to build on the other. To fight on one hand and to build on the other. What we are asking from all of you is, is to build with us and to fight with us. Before I finish, because I want us all to pray, I'm going to ask if we can break into groups and just pray. We, Jess and I, are open to this next era, this next phase, this next season, whichever language you prefer, to look like whatever it has to look like. We are not preciously holding on to anything. I'm not holding on to Sunday morning. I'm not holding on to Sunday. I'm not holding on to a particular size or type of building. What we will not let go of is, God, what are you calling us to? What does it really look like? Where is there peace? Where is there faith to step forward? Where are you guiding and leading us as a people? But I want to stress this too. We are excited. We are pumped. It's got some work involved and it's got some grit and some, some strap your boots on. It's not the sit on the couch with our feet up that we thought we were coming into. That was a shock to get out of for me. I thought, Lord, we've got leaders on, buildings prepped. We're coming into a cruisy. Lord says, no, you're not. Oh, my boy. Oh, my boy. But in that time, in this time, we get to reinvent what God's leading us into. We get to take away some of the, the sacred cows that we've wanted to keep for so long. And some things may not change. They may remain the same if God's breathed on it. But things may change as well. And I want to ask you, would you let go what's in your hand and let us come into this with clean hands, pure hearts for him to rebuild? So I want to ask if you will jump in a, a one or a two or whoever you're sitting with. It doesn't really matter. But I want to ask if you guys would pray with us. And I was going to do it corporately, but I think it would be letting everyone have a chance to pray. It would be better if we just break into little groups. But I don't, I mean, if you feel to pray for it, but I don't necessarily want you to pray for a particular building. I mean, if that's what's on your heart, do it. Don't, don't let me discourage you. But I want to pray more than ever for the kingdom of God to come. And in this situation for this house, for his will to come. Because more importantly to me than a building, than a, a fancy layout, cafe, coffee machine set up, more importantly than that is the will of God being done. We love what's here. Don't get me wrong. I love what we've built. I love the, the community throughout the week being able to come and, and use a coffee machine to meet. That's all great. I love that. But if it's not God... We're wasting our time. So as you break to pray, would you pray that his will be done? Would you pray that Jess and I have the strength to hear his voice in the decisions we have to make and to step out of the boat, to step and leave the land God's given to us to start with, but called us into more. Does that make sense? So why don't you jump into a, whoever you're around, whoever's around you, and just let's just pray. Pray for as, as long as you 
feel need to and then I can end and we'll we'll pray together.